So there's plenty of hope to go around, even in this otherwise hopeless day, and that is the God of all hope is the Most High God. He's seated on the throne, uh, and from the vantage point, he sees all that is transpiring. We were shocked to the core of our being by what happened 10 years ago, but it did not take the Lord by surprise. And you might know him personally. That would be great. You would be in good hands. Thank you, Gene, and uh, we appreciate you and all that you do here for the class. We're in Luke chapter 5 today, just a few verses, but I think they will have meaning. I hope application to you in some fashion. Uh, Luke chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 36. I'll tell you what's happening as you turn there, just to sort of set the pace. Did you know that this Jesus was highly unpopular with religious people? They were repulsed by him. Uh, this, This new radical rabbi Jesus, rabbi, teacher, But he didn't go to their schools, (laughs) and he didn't hang out with the rabbis of the day. In fact, he spent more time, much to their dismay, with street people, marginalized folk. He spent time with prostitutes and tax gatherers. He spent time with lepers, uh, folks who the religious leaders would have nothing to do with. And so they were pretty disgusted with him. Not only that. Both he and his followers, those who he taught, did not uh, uh, comply with human religious traditions. They just seemed not to be bothered by the religious requirements of the day. And so this Lord Jesus seemed to be operating (laughs) in accordance with a different voice of authority than that which the rabbis advanced. For instance, they had lots of requirements and expectations about fasting, but the Lord and his followers violated those traditions quite often. And so that this disturbed them quite a lot. And that was the context of the text you looked at last week. So the Lord is on a collision course with religion. And you might say, what? I, I thought all you people here are religious and, you know, that kind of thing. Not quite. You'll see. We'll make a distinction here in just a second. But he's on a collision course with religion and religious leaders that ultimately led to his crucifixion. So, so, so they bring to him their, their concern, their opposition. You don't do things the way you're supposed to do things. And here's his response. Verse 36. <clears throat> he was telling them a parable. When you see the word parable, um, it's a word that has a wide range of meanings when used in the Bible. Just generally, it's a figure of speech. It's a figure by which a, uh, a truth is communicated. So what you have here are two illustrations of a truth that the Lord wants to communicate to the religious leaders of the day. So here's the first illustration. Uh, No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. And here's why you don't do that. See, otherwise he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. So the Lord being the master teacher is teaching them. uh, He's going to lead them to an ultimate truth through something very familiar. This is common sense stuff. Look, you got a pair of 
jeans. It has a hole in it. You go through your closet. There's a new pair of jeans. You get a pair of scissors. You cut a hole in the new pair of jeans in order to remove from it a patch which you apply to the old pair. Now, if you do that, you got a number of problems. You just ruin the new pair of jeans. But but by the second, there's no guarantee that the new patch is going to match the old garment. But even if it does, sooner or later you're going to have to wash it. And the new patch is unshrunk. It's going to pull away, you see, from the old. So you know what you did? You ruined the old and the new. By the way, the new is the theme of these parallels. So just to demonstrate that to you, we have four verses, verses 36 to 39. Could you take a gander at those verses and count the number of times you see the word new occurring? How many times does the word new occur in those four verses? Okay, probably about seven, seven, eight, somewhere in there. We won't fight of it. A lot. You have four verses, and you have the repetition of this particular word many times. You now know the theme of the passage, the new. So what the Lord is sharing through this otherwise commonplace illustration is the new and the old can't mix. But it has nothing to do with fabric or cloth, as you will see in just a second. So now here's the second illustration. And no one puts new wine, and man, I love this illustration, in a Baptist church. This is just great. And so... No one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, here's what happens. The new wine will burst the skins. It'll be spilled out. The skins will be ruined. So what you want to do is you want to put new wine into fresh wine skins. That's what it says. So here's what happens. <clears throat> you, would, uh, you, would, you would get small animals like a, um, sometimes a goat, and you would dehair it. You would take its skin, stitch it together, and it would be like an ancient bottle. It would, it would hold liquid, not necessarily wine exclusively. It could hold milk or water or wine. If it held wine, it was called a wine skin. It was a real clever use of the animal skin. But here's the problem. After a while, I mean, it's a dry and arid climate, Middle East. It would get dried out and become rigid so that it would, it would lose its resiliency, its capacity to grow. Kind of like people. <clears throat> Some people lose their capacity to grow. They can't change. They can't accommodate their form to new forms of the day. They're rigid. They can't, they can't expand. It's just, this is the way it is. This is the way I am. This is the way we've always done it. Give me that good old-time religion. You know, this kind of stuff. And, and so whether change is required or wise or not is irrelevant. These people cannot change. They resist. They resi- they're like old wine skins. So now if you put new wine into one of those, you've got a big problem. <coughs> and I know you know this as experts on, on wine. Uh, new wine is not finished growing. It ferments. And in the fermenting process, it expands. So if you put new not fully expanded, not fully fermented wine into an old, rigid uh, wine skin. You lose both the wine skin and the good wine. So the Lord is essentially saying the new and the old don't mix. That's the point. They're incompatible. 
He's essentially saying, you know, it's uh, it's human nature. You try to mingle the two together. You try to to syncretize the two, old ways, new ways. But but in this case, the Lord is saying they don't mix. No, no, there's an incompatibility between the new and the old. Now, look, he's not talking about cloth and he's not talking about wine. You know what he's talking about? Man-made religious tradition juxtaposed next to new wine and he's the new wine. And the gospel of grace, which he made possible, is the new wine. And the very spirit of God in you is the new wine. These are all new things which the religionists of the day knew not of. They knew of behavior change due to external constraint. That's what religion does. Religion comes up with codes of conduct, and it may be perfectly fine, but it operates under a false assumption, and that is you can take this external code of conduct, match it up to yourself, and it can make you a good person. No, it simply makes you a person doing the best you can to comply with a man-made code of conduct. It hasn't changed your heart at all. So the Lord is saying, you know, that's just old stuff. That's not going to fly. What you need, you don't need a rules orientation because even if the rules are good, you're not going to live by them. It's not going to change your heart. You need a relationship with the one who will. That's new wine. And he said the two don't mix. You cannot have it your way and my way. My way is change from the inside out. Your way is clean up your act on the outside and think you're okay with God. Your way is jump through these religious hoops and win God's favor. My way is you can't jump through enough hoops. You have fallen so short of the holy standards of God. There aren't enough religious hoops in the world for you to successfully jump through to be in right standing with Him. God's way is I will satisfy the requirements of the law for you. I will take the righteousness which is inherently mine and by your faith I will put it on your side of the ledger. I, I, will, I will impute my righteousness to you. So right standing with God under the new wine regime has nothing to do with religious behavior. It has to do with being rightly related to Almighty God through Jesus the Son. Those are two different things. So for religionists, the extent to which people conform themselves to these codes of conduct, that's the measure of their piety. From God's point of view, that's not the right measure at all. It's he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See relationship. Totally, totally different. So they were quite upset, as you might imagine. So let me illustrate religion gone amok. Um, <clears throat> God gave a commandment a long time ago to those who were, who were his priests. And it's found in Exodus chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. And in that text, God essentially told them, wash your hands. Let me read it to you. Aaron, high priest, and his sons, other priests, shall wash their hands and their feet. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water that they may not die. They shall do this when they approach the altar to minister. 
And when they offer up in smoke a fire of sacrifice to the Lord. So what God is saying is, I choose you to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people, but you have sin of your own. Therefore, you need a cleansing agent just as they do. You must not come into the meeting place where I dwell. Uh, in the process of offering sacrifice for others, you must not come unclean. You need to be cleansed by the uh, blood of the lamb just as they do. He's essentially saying to the priests, don't come in here with unholiness, corruption, or defilement. You need a means of atonement for your own sin. So the washing of hands has nothing to do with get rid of the germs. No soap, no nothing. It was ceremonial. It was an external symbol of something that had to place, uh, take place on the inside, and that is God had to provide the cleansing agent even for his priests. So here's the deal. That commandment was given to the priests alone, not the people. The priests were told to wash their hands when they come in as mediators of God. So I'll tell you what happened over time in Jewish religious history. Our religious leaders have taken that commandment and applied it to all of us. So now today, all of us Jews got to go through this hand-washing deal. So if you're invited to the home of an observant Jewish family, Orthodox Jewish family, you're starving to death too bad. Before you eat, you're doing the hand-washing. You say, well, that's not a big deal. You ought to wash your hand as germs around. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the hand-washing with the soap thing. You sit down at a table. The head of the household is at the head of the table, and his wife comes in with a bowl. She brought it in from the kitchen. In it is water. She has a hand towel over her shoulder, which she gives him. He has a cup. He immerses the cup in the, in the basin of water and puts it over one hand a few times. Then he pours it over the other a few times. She hands him the hand cloth. He does a hand cloth deal. He says a prayer, and then we, got, we get to eat the ham. Oh, no, we don't do this. Me. The story was accurate until then. We don't do that. Never mind. I've got the end. So, so, so here's the deal. Uh, here, here's what happened. Phases. This is, how, this is how man-made tradition sets in. By the way, you're probably victimized by some traditions as well. We'll get to that in a little while. Um, so first God gives a commandment, which is very legitimate, and it's a practice which... Uh, uh, reveals a principle. The religious leaders of the day took the practice, missing the whole principle, and they sort of give the ritual a life of its own. So now they codify it. They write down regulations about it. We call it the traditions of the elders. We actually have them in code books today. They existed in the Lord's day as well. For instance, the rabbis legislate what the proper volume of water should be in the basin. Let me tell you something. The Bible doesn't say a word about that. That's religious people. They've got nothing else to do. So I'm going to tell you what religion does. Re- religious leaders who don't have a relationship with the Lord stop searching his scriptures and instead write their own codes and they lay that trip on us as if it has the same level of authority as the scriptures. See, that's called legalism. So it's not just Jews who get into this. You do too. Baptists do too. I don't know if you knew this. I'll help you to know it in just a second. (laughs) Equal opportunity offender. Everybody gets in trouble. So here's the deal. So so they take the ritual, which only applies to priests. They apply it to everybody. They write all these codes of laws. 
and they and they make it sort of a an emblem or a barometer of piety and spirituality. When and they lost sight entirely of the principle behind the practice. Okay, so that being the background, please let me invite your attention to Mark chapter seven. Mark seven. I know I'm kind of taking the long way around the mountain here, but uh, I think it'll make sense some someday. Mark chapter 7. Let me just share this with you. So I mentioned to you the traditions of the elders, how the religious leaders write up, they write down rules and regulations for all kinds of practices, and they don't even know the principles behind it. Okay, so Mark chapter 7, verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to... See the phrase? According to the tradition of the elders. You see it? They existed in Jesus' day. They exist today. They're codified books. Our rabbis have them. I have a bunch of rabbis in my family, and they, when they, they studied to be rabbis, they don't hardly know the scriptures. You say, how could be a rabbi? How, how, a rabbi, how could a rabbi not know the scriptures? I'm telling you, this is not, this, the Bible is not emphasized. It's the tradition of the elders. So that's what's in view here. They, 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 they say to him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? So can you see what's going on over here? It's that Exodus thing which they misapplied to everybody, and now the Lord didn't insist on his followers doing it, so the religious people nail them for this. Folks, it has nothing to do with a heart for God. It has nothing to do with devotion to Him. It has nothing to do with relationship. They saw the measure of spirituality to be, are you going through the hand ritual or not? So here's the Lord's response, verse 6. Rightly did Isaiah, he quotes from their own prophet, prophesy of you. Sometimes I think I use strong language. Man, I am like a pussycat. Look at this. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you well-intentioned people, of you zealous and sincere people, of you religious people who mean well. No. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips. It's just a bunch of religious stuff, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me. And here's what they do. They teach as doctrines the precepts of men. They confuse the two. They take human precepts, regulations, traditions of the elders, but they teach them as if they have the level of biblical authority, as if they're doctrine. By the way, so do you. For instance, um, so get ready. Do you feel like being offended is it been? Is it time? Okay, good. So good. I gave you a fair warning. Where did you guys get the "thou shalt not dance" thing? Okay, now, now, hey, bear with me here. Hang on. Listen. Let, let me just go on record. It's not likely you're going to catch me at some bar in town dancing with somebody who doesn't. I'm not wedded to, even on a bad day. So it's, it's, it's unlikely. So it's not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to promote the dancing. That's not my point. My point is how did you get there? That's my point. If you want to be there, that's legitimate. If you say I'm not comfortable 
dancing. I don't like to. That's no problem. Don't misunderstand. But it's been raised almost to a level of biblical authority. So it is a, it is a barometer by which people are actually judged. Their relationship with the Lord is judged today. So, so, so let's not just point the finger at the Jews. The reason the Jews are in there is as a mirror to you guys because human nature is exactly, is exactly the same Exactly the same thing. So someone would say, well, you know, I don't do the dancing thing because we never did. I wasn't raised that way. Oh, that's cool. But, but that you were not raised that way doesn't give authorization for you to impose that as a standard upon everybody else. Can I be, let me just, let's, let me turn up the be offensive notch just a little bit. <laughs> I think the real reason why white Baptists came up with the we don't dance prohibition is you can't. That's the... Brenda, I think that's... Look, if it's a cultural deal, if it's a... It's a cost. Everything's fine. But when you raise certain things to the level of biblical standards, you're doing just what these people did. And the Lord was on a collision course with them. Look, let me illustrate. Years ago, I had a big, big fight with a rabbi uh, in the military. He started it. <laughs> he found out what I believed in. He didn't like it. He just didn't want anything to do with me. And, you know, look, I didn't want to be... He was not going to be my best friend. That's fine. Then I get a call from the guy. He said, hey, I spoke to some other rabbis. They said I let you go too soon. I should meet with you so that we should study, so that I could free you from that cult you've gotten involved in. So he called him. So I thought, okay, cool. So we, I go to the rabbi's office. I sit down. He says, okay, let's study. What do you want to study? He tells me. The rabbi says, what do you want to study? I say, how about the Bible? Wouldn't that be an interesting sort of a <laughs> twist? He, and he said, okay, where? I said, how about the first book? Bereshit, we call it. Book of Beginnings, Genesis. That's the Torah. It's Moshe's. Rabbi Mo- Moses wrote this. This is common ground, Rabbi, right? You believe it's the word of God? He said, yes. I said, oh, okay, cool. we got common ground. So I took him to Genesis. We get to chapter 3 where a man had sinned, is naked before God, is trying to hide, fashions an apron of leaves to try to deal with his own nakedness. By the way, first man-made religion is there in Genesis 3, apron of leaves. doesn't work. God intervenes, take an anim- takes an animal, clothes Adam and Eve with the skins of the animal. I said, Rabbi, look, it's the beginning of our Jewish animal sacrificial system, which is contained in our own scriptures. And it culminates in the ultimate lamb, the sacrifice of the ultimate lamb of God, our own Messiah, Yeshua. He says, sit right there. Don't go away. That's what he says. He gets up. I'm thinking, oh, no, he's getting a gun. I'm dead. He comes back with a book. And it's the book. It's the tradition of the elders. We call it different things. Mishnah, Gomorrah. You call it what you want. You know what I'm talking about? But, but it's the tradition of the elders. And he... Listen what he does. He, take, he goes to the text and he sees what the sages say about the text. And they write, contrary to, to the opinion of some, an animal's life was not sacrificed here in chapter 3. It was just like an animal with wool. And, and the wool was, you know, it was, what do you call it? Shaved, sheared, something like that from New York. We don't do that. <laughs> but, but there was no animal that died. So I said to them, I said, Rabbi, you know, I've got to tell you something. 
Just the fact that our rabbis, who are just smart guys, you know, ancient rabbis, got nothing better to do but belabor this point here uh, is corroborative evidence to me that must be something to it. I mean, it's just a fraudulent deal. You don't waste your time, man. You just dismiss it. Move on to better things. They've written volumes explaining the obvious away. So that confirms it to me. Second, I asked him this. I said, Rabbi, when the word of the sages seems to be contrary to the word of God, which one are you going to yield to? He went ballistic. He went He threw that book at me. (laughs) Typical rabbi missed by a mile. We ain't too good with the athletic stuff. We usually buy teams, but we don't play on them. That guy like missed me by a mile. But here's the deal. This is what religionists do. They put on the same level of authority the word of God and the word of man. So in Judaism, you said, well, Jewish people, they read the Bible. Why, aren't they, why don't they get it? Because along with the Bible are the, these codified books called the tradition of the elders. And you try to put them together, you get a mutation. It's just what the Lord said. You can't mix the old with the new. You can't do that. You can't take a new piece of garment on an old thing. It'll tear away. You can't put new wine into old wine skins. Hey, hey, Mormons do this too. You've seen the commercials. They're great. They're brilliant commercials. Here is a testament, New Testament, the story of the testament of Jesus. And now here's another testament, the Book of Mormon, Call this 800 number, we'll sell it to you, it's free. So can you see the same deal there? You see the same deal? You say, Mormons, I don't see any of my friend, my neighbor, such a good person. What is it with you, you Christians? Why do, why do you say Mormons are not with the problem? They read the Bible. So you, got the, so, so, you, so you got the Bible and you got the Book of Mormon. See, old vessels, new wine skins. You can't syncretize. Jehovah's Witnesses. Say, Jehovah's Witnesses, such good people. They came to the door. You know, they, 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 they use scripture stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also their own traditions. There's an amalgam of the two. So what you get is a mutation of the scriptures. And it goes on and on and on and on. And the Lord Jesus is saying, choose. Tradition of men or me. Truth over tradition. Can I have both? No. New wine will burst old wine skins. We're prone to it, folks. We're prone to elevating human standards to a level of biblical authority that gets us in trouble. I was a pastor of a church in Ohio years ago, a long time ago, before many of you were born. No. That's not true, but a long time ago. And uh, so it, it, things were different in those days, so, so you conformed to the customs of the day. And in that case, on Sundays, uh, I wore a suit and tie. All the guys did. Uh, that was the nature of things. And then at night, we had Sunday service in, when we used to have Sunday service. But that was a little more casual, not quite like this. I would wear a jacket, but no tie. So, so I'm up there, and I'm, I'm doing my thing, and a lady comes up to me. At the end, and she said, that's it for me. I can no longer consider you uh, to be my pastor or anybody's pastor. No longer will I listen to anything you have to say. And boy, did she get my attention with that comment. So I said to her, why? And she said, because you're not wearing a tie. 
she came this close to actually saying, I know it's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> That's just how passionate she was about a very legitimate personal standard. I wouldn't challenge her personal standard. But she was just mixing the, are you missing the forest for the doggone trees? Who cares? So then I'm in the auditorium in here uh, years ago. And I think it might have been on a Sunday night when we had Sunday night. I got there a little early. And there was a young boy, and he was seated. You know how the auditorium is uh, where you have the steps on each side, seats that go up? He was sitting there, but alone, nobody with him. So I went over to him. I had never seen him before. He was just a teenage kid. I said, hey, how you doing? What's your name? He tells me his name. I said, my name is Stuart. I said, uh, so, so how did you get here? And he said, I heard about it. A friend told me about it, and I decided to come. Uh, tonight, I said, really good, really good. Why? Why did you decide to do that? He said, because things are just falling apart at home. No kidding. What do you mean? He said, my father just got arrested. He's in jail. How come? Beating up my mother. I said, oh, man. Did they have like a big fight? He said, no, 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 no. He's abused her for years in front of myself and, and, the, and my brother's. And that was it. We just had enough. We had to call the cops. And they arrested him. And he said, now I don't know what I'm going to do. My mother's in the hospital. My father's in jail. <clears throat> he said, I'm here looking for help. I said, I'm glad you came. I think you'll find it. So I said, can you stick around? When the service is over, let's hang out a little bit. So that was it. So I left him on that wing. And I went back over to sit where I was supposed to sit. But on the way... One of the men in our church stopped me, and he said, Stuart, you're a minister here, aren't you? And I said, yeah, last time I checked. And he said, uh, you need to go over to that young boy and tell him to remove his cap. He had a hat on. <clears throat> I said, why do you want me to do that? He said, because it shows disrespect. I said, I can understand what you're saying. <clears throat> I said, let me tell you something. I have the authority to do that. I can go over there. I can get the cap off I can win that battle, but I'll lose the war. Let me tell you the war. So I told this man his story. <clears throat> he said, oh, but it's just not the way it's supposed to be. I wasn't raised that way. If I were a captive church when I grew up, my father, hey, his is in jail. He doesn't have the father you had. His two parents didn't take him to church as a little kid. You mean Donna Reed ain't alive anymore. Father knows best is a myth. It does, do you know the average family in churches today is the single parent household? You, you, you may want things the way they used to be, and they may have been the good old days, but you can live in that dream world all you want. We ain't there anymore. How many locks do you have on your door? How many people have alarm systems? How many people came here without locking their doors? Are you kidding me? Don't tell me things haven't changed. I didn't say today is better than it used to be, but it's different. Do you know what you call a church that isn't adjusting to the changes in the... You know what you call a church that do, that's doing church the same way today it did 10 years ago? You're, that's called a church in decline. Or dead. So I explained to this man, you may be right about the hat deal, but I'm going to concede that battle to win the war. I'll succeed in getting him to take his hat off. We'll never see him again. Now, where is that kid going to go? You tell me. Can you get the idea where personal standards can be, can be raised above biblical considerations? 
so that we're actually doing more harm than we're actually doing more harm than good. So that's an illustration of what the Lord was the Lord was actually um, um, waging war against. You see, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of man. Here's the commandment of God: reach out to that person, love that person, accept that one un. Conditionally, uh, you, you, you neglect that commandment of God. You hold to the tradition. When you're here, you have to dress a certain way. You have to act a certain way. So religionists are experts on liturgy. They know when to stand up and when to sit down. They know when to kneel, when to bow, how to dress, how to shake the incense, whatever. Who cares? You can get to know more about religious liturgy than about the Lord Jesus. And he called that an amalgam of new wine and old wine skins. And it just doesn't work. So, folks, there's more religion in the world today than there ever has been in the history of humankind. Anytime they have a national prayer meetings, which, by the way, I highly question the efficacy of. Anytime you know you get you get religious leaders of every stripe, it is just unbelievable. Experts on forms and liturgies and how to wash the hands and if you don't you know and <sighs> neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to your own traditions. Thank God at our church we're fairly progressive, not with the Bible. We don't want to progress beyond biblical truth we're very conservative but methodologically and strategically we're pretty progressive the message remains the same the methods the methods have to be different you know what i think is i don't know if this is true but i i think today or someday in the awakened service maybe some of you have been there i think wade is going to invite people to respond to an invitation on their smartphones on their iphones that is not exactly your formal altar call with the, you know, the ministers of the church standing up there in their three-piece suits looking like the Gestapo. That is not, that's a different, hey, by the way, the altar call. So here's the deal. Do you know what's wrong with the altar call? Nothing. It's only wrong if you think you can't do without it. If you think you can't do without it, then you have attached more to the practice than there ought to be. The principle is call for response. How you do it is up for grabs. There's no mention of the altar call in the Bible. There's plenty of mention of an invitation. But there's lots of ways to do it. Do you know where the altar call came from? Billy Sunday, evangelist, outdoor outdoor crusades. It never was a church practice. After Billy Sunday wisely made use of it because he had to deal with many, many people responding come forward and he had counselors and everything churches adopted it it's a perfectly good thing please don't misunderstand don't misrepresent what i'm saying i'm not against it freedom to have an altar call means just as much freedom not to you want to hear an interesting concept the holy spirit can convict someone of sin they could respond and be converted without an altar call (gasps) look i want to tell you something please don't Please don't hate me because I'm beautiful. No. That's a, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian since September 5th, 1973. I didn't walk down an aisle. I was in the military barracks. I met a friend. 
He shared with me his life in Christ. I heard the gospel. I did not respond to him. He didn't make me. I went to my barracks room. The Holy Spirit convicted me of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. I said, oh, God, would you do for me what you did for Mark? I know I've sinned against you. I'm separate. I'm dead. Can you give me life? Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? That's what, September 5th, 1973. I didn't, I didn't raise my hand, walk, bow my head. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not against any of those things. I'm just saying they're not required unless you require them. If you require them, you're the people the Lord's dealing with because you have lifted up a church practice a form to the level of biblical authority. The function of the church cannot be compromised, but the forms of the church must give way to change. Who would ever heard of asking someone to respond to a presentation of the gospel on a smartphone? Well, welcome to the day in which we live. And you say, this is crazy. It's, cra- it's not crazy for this technologically astute new generation. And if we refuse to accommodate those forms, there's no room for new wine in our old wine skins. And I want to tell you something about human nature. And it's not just Jewish human nature. It's Baptist human nature too. We don't like change. We don't like change. And the Lord knows this. Therefore, he says, and we'll close with this, what he says in verse 39 of our text, Luke 5, verse 39. No one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. Do you know if you've grown up with certain religious traditions and ways that you're comfortable with, you do not, by nature, have an appetite for anything new. That's the way it is. Do you know if you responded at one point in your life to the gospel of grace, it is a major miracle. Your conversion is as much a miracle as the parting of the Red Seas because it's contrary to human nature having uh, sampled old wine to even desire new wine. That we would desire new life in Christ is in and of itself a mark of his work in our lives. Human nature, after you drink the old stuff, no one wishes for new, for he says old is good enough. Old is good enough. Listen, old-time religion that puts the onus of responsibility on you to earn your salvation is not good enough. Human religious tradition that imposes upon you a code of conduct that is extra-biblical as a badge, as a barometer of your piety and devotion to the Lord, is not good enough. What does the Lord look to? Loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. Not religious practices, but a relationship a vibrant, living relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, there's plenty of room for Christian liberty. Some here don't go to movies. You're free not to. You're not free to use it as a badge of honor which you impose upon others who do. 
These are matters of Christian liberty. And there are many, many other. I don't want to get into certain areas because they're way too sensitive. I'll get fired. But, <laughs> but you get the idea. Just examine where did we get that? Why are we doing that? Where does it say that? Now, if you don't find biblical support for a certain practice you live by, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It just means it's your practice. Live by it, but leave me alone. And I need to do the, I need to do the same. There was a time in our lives, my wife and I, when our kids were young, we decided we we're going to get rid of the TV. No TV. So we had no TV. Of course, this is before American Idol, or I never would have, <laughs> never would have agreed to it. <laughs> you know, it was the old day. What do you get? I, I can do without gun smoke, but man, not ever. Anyway, so we got rid of the TV kind of a thing. You know, it was just a thing. We operated out of, out of conviction. We didn't see, uh, the Bible says thou shalt not have a TV. We didn't go to church and say, hey, do you have a TV? We don't. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't do anything. It was just a particular deal. And then after a while, we realized, you know, this is, this is crazy. So then we got like a small black and white TV that we could move. Uh, we didn't want it to be the centerpiece of the living room, so you could pick it up, put it in the closet from time to time. You know, who are we kidding? I get like a, I got like a ninety thousand inch flat screen thing thing now. No, I'm only kidding. But anyway, here my my point is, we're entitled to certain pr- um, practices and principles. Don't misunderstand. If something is meaningful to you, you just do it. Just be careful that you don't put that on the same level as biblical authority, because that would become legalism. You see, just make because you know what the Bible does. It doesn't require of us more than God is willing to enable us to do. But if you let someone heap religious standards on you, you don't get grace to do those. God's not going to give you the grace to live by stuff you don't have to. He's only going to give you the grace to yield to the word of God. So the word of the sages, whoever they are, does not have the same level of authority as the word of word of man. There's a church, uh, a faith group in the area, well, national, international, I can tell you who's a member of it if they're ladies anywhere. They can be out in Walmart, and I can tell you they belong to that faith group for sure. They, it's always long skirts. I mean, it could be a 1,000 degrees out there. It's long skirt time. And the hair, it's always long, but it's never down. It's always up. And makeup is non-existent. I mean, it can really ruin your appetite to run. <laughs> No, yeah, it's just, man. So let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with it. If an individual, it actually, you know, a modest dress is a very commendable thing. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But when you see all the ladies in the church dressed in the same way, you just figured out it's required uniform under the guise of piety. It has nothing to do with piety. If a lady walked into that place and didn't dress that way, all eyes would be upon her. Can you see how personal standards now have been elevated to a level of biblical requirement so that you use it as a yardstick by which to judge someone else? That's old wineskin stuff. If you want to do the long skirt deal when it's a 1,000 degrees, if you want to... uh, you, you know, lay off the makeup thing. That's, you, you know, that, just sit in the back, please. <laughs> no, 
If you want a hairstyle, do whatever you want to do. Not a problem. But when it, it becomes, this is what we do, and this distinguishes the we from the them, well, the them are never going to want to be part of you. The only distinction in humankind that is biblical support is he who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son shall not see life. We are divided on that basis. We should not divide on any other basis. I don't care if a kid comes in wearing a cap. I don't care if he's got nine a bazillion tattoos. I don't care. Does he have the sun? He needs the sun. How he lives his life thereafter. Let the son of God influence him. If we influence someone who doesn't even have the sun about those things up front, even if they conform, we haven't changed their heart. We just got them to conform. You know why we do that? Because we're control freaks. And we think if we control and clone everybody, everything will be cool. So someone said to me the other day, Stuart, when did you start being religious? <gasps> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not an unthinking automaton who mechanically goes through religious practices, liturgies, and procedures because the wise men said to. I would rather be someone who wakes up in the morning and tries to do his best to stay close to God, not get be, uh, too far ahead, not lag too far behind, and walk with him through the day, every day, until we waltz together hand in hand into eternity. Don't talk to me about washing my hands with three cups of water. I don't care. I'm grateful for the cleansing agent, which is God's Holy Spirit himself. I'm grateful for rivers of living water. I'm grateful for new wine. I hope you are as well. I know you are. Lord Jesus, thank you for new wine. You are. Of course, it's not about a beverage, is it, Lord, any more than it's about cloth. It's about a new covenant by which you inscribe your laws, your mind, your morality on our hearts, and then empower compliance with it by sending your very spirit in us so that we can be more and more conformed to your image. This, your work, in us from the inside out. And, oh, God, thank you that favor with you is not a function of what we do. It's a function that by faith we belong to you. You have forgiven and adopted us by your grace through your shed blood into your family. We cannot possibly have more favor in your eyes than to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord Jesus, freedom, new wine, grace is not permission to be sloppy, unholy, or to practice licentiousness. On the contrary, the motive for holiness, however, is entirely different. It's not a I must to belong. It's more like I want to. I want to do that, which is most pleasing to the one who loves me in spite of me. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. Miss Sharon, do you have something? Oh. Sharon and many others are calling our attention to a new movie, Courageous, which has met with wonderful, wonderful reviews. And here's another one.
you get a chance to see it. Good.